0: We're wrapping up this series called Stones. Um, we've taken, this will be week number four, and we're just taking this journey through scripture, and we're asking ourselves, like, what does the Bible say about stones? Like, what are some things that we can learn that we can do with stones? I told you this came from Exodus chapter four, verse two, when Moses was giving God all kinds of excuses about how he, he wasn't the right guy to do what God was calling him to do, and Um, And God asked him that simple question, right, that doesn't have a simple answer. He said, what's in your hand? And so we've talked about stones that we hold, right? A lot of us, we hold stones. And in Scripture, they represent different things. So just very quickly, quick recap, week one, we learned that forgiven people forgive. We looked at the woman that was caught in adultery. The religious leaders held the stones in their hands, and we said to Anna, Divided world, and we're in one, in a divided world, we need to drop the stones. And so dropping the stones is a sound of forgiveness, right? Week two, we learned that blessed people blessed. That was when compassion was with us. And we talked about how they piled up. Remember, they piled up stones when they, when they walked through the Jordan River. They piled them up so that they would remember the goodness of God, the provision of God. And not only they would remember it, but all their children, when they passed that, they would ask their parents, Mom, Dad, what's that for? And they would say, remember when God was faithful to us, when he came through, when he provided a way of escape. And not only the kids, but at the end of that chapter, we learned that all the earth would know that God was good. And they would fear the Lord because they saw those piles of stones. And so what we talked about was in a hurting world, we need to use the stones the things that God has given us that he's blessed us with, your job, your bank account, no matter how big or how small, the fact that you're breathing your life, we need to use the blessings of God to bless other people. Last week, we learned that raised people praise. We said that in a confused world, we need to silence the stones. We looked at Jesus when he was entering, the, um, when he was entering Jerusalem. And he said, when he was challenged, like the religious leaders said, tell all these people that are proclaiming you as the Messiah, tell them to be quiet. And his comment to them was, if they don't say it, these rocks are going to say it. And what we learned last week is that Jesus will be worshipped, and he will be worshipped by us. The question is, will we start now when we can, or then when it's too late? Right? He will be worshipped, and so we need to silence the stones with our praise. Now, y'all sang great this morning. What in the person next to you? They were like, so good. But it's more than just music, right? It's more than just singing. Worship is our lives. When we lay our lives down, and what we learned last week, we're gonna continue with this week. Because when we worship, we live our lives as if Jesus is what? Lord, and He is. So, a life full of worship is actually a life that says, Jesus, you're Lord. And there's nothing in my life that deserves or demands my full allegiance like you. And when we live like that, hey, even if you're a bad singer, you're still a great worshiper. Because that's what worship is. Music's just a, one part of it, right? How we read the Bible, how we live the Bible, how we interact with other people, the things, how we post, how we speak, all of those are worship and they all fall under the lordship of Jesus. This morning, we're going to be in 1 Peter. You can go ahead and turn there, scroll there, however you get there. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 9. And here's what we're going to see this morning as we wrap this series up. In a broken world, we need to become the stones. In a broken world, we need to become the stones. Here's your three-word big idea. Rebuilt people, rebuild So, we're gonna break this into three. I'm gonna sound like such a great preacher, because they all start with R, right? Here's the three points. We're gonna talk about the reality, the remedy, and the result. Everybody say that was good. Weren't you impressed? You're like, that was good, right? We hope all the stuff that comes after that is gonna be just as good. So, let's talk about the reality. And, and you're gonna agree with this right away. We're broken people living in a broken world. Is this not true? Have you noticed this? Not, the, not just those people, we are broken people living in a broken world. In Isaiah 53, 6, I want to read that to you quickly, explains why and how we get broken. Here's what what the prophet said. He said, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way. What we learn here is the longer that we turn away from God's way and go our own way, the greater the likelihood of brokenness. Okay? Now, it does not mean um, if you're following Jesus that you're never going to experience brokenness. Right? But it does mean that when God says, I've got a way for you to go and we go the other way, it increases the likelihood of brokenness in our lives. I'll show you how I got that. Acts chapter 26, verse 14. Paul's recounting his conversion story, and he says this, We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, because Paul used to be called Saul, why do you persecute me? It's hard for you to kick against the goats. Now that is the weirdest verse. It's hard for you to kick against the goats, right? And so what does that mean? Well, this is an agricultural time, and so when the oxen, when they would be put out in the field and they would, they would try to get the ox to go a certain way, if the ox tried to go its own way, then there were these, like, sticks that had iron tips that were pointed and sharp. And so if the ox tried to go its own way, it would, it would get hit by that. It was called a goad. So what Paul's hearing from the Lord is, like, why are, you, why are you persecuting me? And don't you know that it's hard to kick against the goads? Interpretation. God's saying, I have a way that I want you to go. And every time you try to go your own way, you're causing yourself pain. That's just reality. Now, it sounds cold, doesn't it? Like, if somebody at work tomorrow came to you and said, I just need, I need help. I need some counseling. I need somebody to help me. Like, can you help me figure out what's going on in my life? I am really hurting. You don't necessarily want to look at them right away and go like, well, you're just a rebel. But it's possible, it's possible that if God has a perfect way for us to go and we're trying to go our own way, that we are hitting up against things that he's put in place to keep us from going over the cliff. Drive your car into a guardrail. Will you cause damage to your car? Yes. That was an easy answer. Will you still be alive? We hope so. That's what the guardrail is for. The guardrail is not there so you won't damage your car. The guardrail is there so you won't take your car over the cliff and die. And sometimes there's damage in our lives, y'all, because we're trying to go our own way. That's just reality. It doesn't mean that we're not going to experience brokenness if we turn and submit to God's way. And here's how we know this. This blew me away. I didn't even see this until this week. Isaiah says that we all like what? Yeah, if you're following Jesus, what are you? Just making sure you're getting this. We think this is for all the bad people who are like goats, but he said we all like sheep. Sheep have a tendency to do what? Go their own way. Even after you come to Jesus. How many of you yesterday woke up and were like, oh, my to-do list is not sin." You probably didn't have it written out, but I bet that was your goal. And by last night, your head was on a pillow going, Oh God, forgive me for, and like all these things, right? And like you had such a great plan. And before you could get your first cup of coffee, the kids asked you a question. You were like, Stop what? You know, Like that demon came out because you hadn't had your. Like it's amazing, isn't it? How easy it is for us to go astray. And when we do, we. Kick against the goads. It's a phrase we don't use a lot. Maybe we should bring it back. I don't know. It's weird. But we kick against that that stuff in our life that he's put there to stop us. Pain reminds us that what we just did, we ought not to do again. Right? So when we submit to God's truth and way, what happens is we place ourselves into his care. The reality is that all of us need a Savior. But we also all need a shepherd. We need somebody in our life that will say, you are wandering away from the path, and I am here to bring you back. Yeah, I'm just going to throw this out there. We talk about Jesus leaving the 99 for the one, and he does. You know the one was a sheep, right? Now, I'm not saying it doesn't apply to lost people, but holy cow, y'all, we, Jesus followers, have a tendency to not follow Jesus. And he speaks to that here. We like sheep have gone astray. And the reality is we are broken people in a broken world. So let's get to our passage. Let's get to the remedy. That's the reality. Here's the remedy. Let's talk about um, what we do with that rebellious reality. Here's what can fix it. Here's the remedy. A life built by God on the foundation of Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 9. Let's just kind of go through these maybe verse by verse. So verse 4 says this. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, we're coming to Jesus he is the cornerstone. So um, the cornerstone was the most important piece. It was like that was what held everything together. That was the preeminent stone. That, the Bible talks about how they would cheer whenever the cornerstone came out. So just think foundation, right? Our lives, our rebellious, we want to go our own way lives are held in place by Jesus. He is the living stone. He is the. The cornerstone. In verse 5, in that context, it says that we can become living stones. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I want to point this out to you quickly. For you also, like living stones, are building yourself. Is that what it says? Y'all there? You're being built which means that you are placing your life, you are becoming a stone, you're placing your life in the hands of a builder, in the hands of a master builder. You are being built into a spiritual house. We have to trust our lives into the hands and care of a shepherd who is our Lord. Now, I've been hammering this Jesus is Lord thing for a while. You know why? It's the whole Christian faith. I mean, it's that's it. Bullet down, that's it. I was listening to a book this week. Do you know back in the early days of the church when people when people saw each other on the road? Do you know how they were supposed to greet one another? Caesar, he is Lord. And the other person was supposed to say, the Lord is Caesar. And so in that culture... The fact that Jesus was Lord was so countercultural. It instantly set them in places to be persecuted. Because if, if, I, if I was not a Christian and I was greeting Wendy and she was and I said, Caesar is the Lord, her only response back to me would be, uh, no, Jesus is Lord. Instant persecution. How much trust did they have in God to place their lives in his hand, right? And that's what we are today. When we say Jesus is Lord, what we're saying is, I trust you. I'm a stone. Take me and you, you put me where you need to put me. You fix me how you need to fix me. You do whatever you need in my life. You use goes. You use chisels. use whatever you need to form me and place me where I need to be. And in verses 6 through 8 in First Peter chapter 2, we see that some people chose not to do that. It says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, Jesus, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe the stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, a stone that causes people to stumble, a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message. When we don't obey the word, when we don't obey the message, we stumble. There are people right now who are stumbling. They're stumbling over Jesus because they simply don't want to submit to what he says. Josh McDowell, he, he's spent his whole life like just defending the faith, right? As an apologist, defending the faith. He tells the story of talking to an atheist, and he answered every one of the atheist objections, every one of them. And he said to the atheist, well, now can, we re- can I pray with you to receive Jesus? And he said, no. Well, why not? What further objection do you have? He said, well, I don't have any objections, but if I pray with you, I'm going to have to move out. i live with my girlfriend. And Josh McDowell said he realized in that moment it's not about the head. It's about the will. I don't want to submit And when we don't submit to Jesus being Lord, then we can't be used as stones. The only way to become a stone in His hand is to submit to His Lordship. These people that were stumbling, they stumbled because they heard the message and they didn't obey it because they didn't want to. And in verse 9, look at, I love this, but, we'd say the Bible's full of big buts, and here's one of them, but, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. I want you to see this. When we allow Jesus to be our cornerstone, we're chosen by him and placed by him. He chooses, he looks, and, this is what I need. He chooses us and then he places us. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says that you and I are masterpieces made by God. First Corinthians twelve eighteen says that he has placed each one of us in the body, where he sees that we fit. Right, and then I love Ephesians two twenty. Ephesians two twenty um, talks about. Let me see if I can find it. Nope, I can't find it. Look it up on your own. Ephesians two twenty, it's good. All right, verse nine. Look what happens when we allow God to place us in the wall. Okay, two things happen when you allow God to place you in the wall. One, others see the goodness of God and others see the light of God. This is the remedy, y'all. The remedy to our brokenness is to allow the master builder to take us, prepare us, and place us where he wants us to be. And here's the result. Isaiah 58, verses 10 through 12. In the context, he's just, God has just told them that they're fasting the wrong way, that they're fasting trying to get what they want. And anytime time we do something to try to get what we want, guess who's not Lord? Jesus, right? He says, but if you spend yourselves, verse 10, in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, in other words, if you bring your life under my lordship, then your light will rise in the darkness, and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land, and it will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins, and you will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. What I want you to see is the result of is that when we're rebuilt by God, we begin to rebuild. We're not people who just talk about the problems. We become part of the solution. He places us where he wants us to be, and rebuilt people rebuild. I hope you see this, that light shines out from darkness, and darkness around us becomes light. We're trying to get away from all the darkness, right? And he actually says, in the darkness, You're going to shine. I want to close. um, I want to read Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, and then we're going to watch a video. Jesus looks at Peter after Peter had confessed that he was the Messiah, and he said, This, you've heard this verse before. This is not going to be new. I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church, the rock of Jesus as Messiah, right? I will build my church. And so here's what I want you to hear. It's a little bit of a different perspective. The building of the church, this is about growth in the church. Who's the church? We are, right? So this statement, I will build my church, is a promise from God that he's going to build the church. This is about growth in the church. We've made it about growth of the church. And it's true as we as we grow the church does grow right but this is about us as the church being grown by God he will grow and build the church he will pick us up he will get us ready and he will place us where he wants us to be and as he does that guess who sees it the darkness because our light shines from around the darkness, the darkness around us becomes light because we're there, because we've placed our lives in the hands of the Master Builder, and we have said, you do what you want to do. I want to end this by showing you a quick video. Um, well, it's not quick. It's a little bit long. And I've shown it one other time, and when you watch it, you're going to be like, if it summed up your message so much, why didn't you just show the video, right? But this is the perfect way for us to end. Perfectly sums up how we struggle with... The promise that God is a master builder and that when we become the stones, we can trust him to prepare us and make us the masterpiece that he wants us to be.
1: Ephesians 2.10 says that we are God's workmanship, his masterpiece. I don't know about you, but when I get up in the morning and look in the mirror, I don't really see a a masterpiece, you know? I mean, maybe a Picasso. It's like... (laughs) but I want to be his masterpiece. I want to be everything he created me to be. And so I go to him in prayer and I say, dear heavenly father, do whatever it takes to mold me into the image of your son. Make me your masterpiece. In Jesus name I pray, amen.
2: Hi. Whoa, who are you? I'm God, you said the prayer, so here I am. You're not God. No I am, you said the prayer, that's how it works. Okay, okay, if you're God, then uh, make it snow in here. You know what, I really don't want to make it snow in here because it'd get kind
1: of yucky. Yeah, you're not God. Why do you say that? God wouldn't say yucky. I do, it's a Greek word. Oh, okay, okay, Um, if you're God, what does Lamentations 15.9 say?
2: Lamentations is only five chapters, it's a very short book. Oh, why was it so short? I was tired of lamenting.
1: Oh. Okay, okay, if you're God, who's gonna win the World Series this year?
2: I'm really not into playing games. Why are you so much into playing games? You are God. Well, gave it away.
1: You answered my question with a question.
2: I did? <sighs> yeah, I do that, don't I? I did it again. <laughs> Step right up, here we go. Okay. All right. Hey, what are we doing? I'm gonna make you into my original masterpiece. This is the process. Oh, okay, got it. Yep. Wait, wait, what are these about? These are the tools I'm gonna use to make you into my original masterpiece.
1: Okay. Yep. Hang on. Yeah. I thought you were a carpenter. That's my son. Step right up. Here we go. Okay. Oh, hey, God. Mm -hmm. How do you know what to chisel away and what to leave?
2: It's rubbish, it's garbage. The greatest thing you're ever gonna hear is at the end of your life when you hear me say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what you keep your eye on. That's the prize, heavenward. (coughs) (coughs) That hurts. Oh, trust me, this hurts me more than it hurts you. Right.
1: (coughs) Okay, I'm sorry, I just, I don't think you understand this pain. Pardon me? You're asking me to sacrifice a lot, God. But you chisel away, just be prepared.
2: You have listened to so many voices for far too long that were not for me. And you have totally bought into the lie, haven't you? You think you're junk, don't you? When you lay your head down at night after you've done the dance to get the hug, you think you're junk. Listen to me, I don't take time to make junk.
1: is God's original masterpiece. Yes, you are. And so are you. God doesn't make junk. You are an original
0: masterpiece. I want you this morning to leave here committed to becoming a stone. And that means no more control. We just place ourselves into the master builder's hand and we say, Hey, you, you chisel me however you want me to be. You know, he's building a wall of living stones. He's building a spiritual house and it's not a brick house. You're not just another brick in the wall you're a unique creation. When I grew up, my my parents had a huge mantle, right? I mean, a huge fireplace, hearth, it was all built out of stone, and we have a stone fireplace at our house as well. And I love it because no stone's the same, but it all fits together perfectly because someone has chiseled what they needed to to place that where it needs to go and then filled in the cracks with Cement, which is the Holy Spirit. And you have a place to play in the wall. And you'll never fulfill that destiny. We'll never fulfill our destinies trying to be Lord of our lives. It only comes because we say, you know what? I'm willing to let you rebuild me. And then put me in the wall. Put me in that building so that I can help rebuild other people. God's plan for you and for me is to place us in the house as living stones so that we can help other people find their place in the house as living stones. Said it another way, placed people, place people. It's what we do. And I want to pray over you this morning. Would you close your eyes? Would you bow your head? Would you think about what you just watched? Would you ask yourself this question? Is not in my head, is Jesus Lord of my life? Not do I think he's Lord, do I agree mentally that he's Lord, but in my life, is he the master builder? Do I trust him to chisel away what I do not need so that I can look less like myself and more like Jesus? God, I pray over everyone that's in the house right now. I pray that their hearts would be stirred, that they would realize, God, that the greatest plan that you have for stones in the Bible is that we would be living stones built on the foundation of the cornerstone of Jesus. And I pray, God, that when we live that way, our lives would shine in the darkness and the darkness will not overcome the light that pours out of people who live when Jesus is Lord. And I thank you for that, God. Just as an act, the lights are down. They're not going to come up. No one's going to see this but you and the Lord. But just as an act, if as we've talked this morning, you have just sensed a need to repent, that there are areas in your life that you have not allowed him to chisel away, would you just raise your hands to the Lord? This is just you and him saying, God, I want to repent of that. I believe there's something that happens when we take physical action. Just raise your hand, and you can put it right back down. God, only you see those hands. And so I'm praying as they're lifted and as they're put back down that they would, people would see that the repentance you give is a gift and that we would choose to live differently as a result of today. We make you Lord of our lives.